Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show. KTAR News, 92.3 FM and the KTAR News app. Hey, thanks so much for being here. We have a lot to talk about when it comes to our economy as we continue to watch this evolve. And there's some good news. They are saying that inflation is coming down, which is good. Is it going to come down fast enough without having rate increases? Are we going to have a soft landing and avoid a recession? These are all questions people are asking. We also were at a crossroads because what we are not necessarily doing federally right now, because we know that the plans of the Biden administration, and let's be fair, Chuck Schumer and the Democrats in the Senate have been kind of upended by a Republican takeover and a majority. Not, I'm not talking red wave, but the Republicans now control the House. And that's where the purse strings are. All the spending bills originate in the House. How, what... Um what agreements will they come to on spending? Um, because what's happening at the what's not happening at the federal level, many people are trying to make hap- happen at the state and local level, and we're seeing a shift. A uh, well, when I I guess severe would be the wrong word, but certainly a significant shift in demographics. We have seen the largest exodus of wealthy people from New York to the Miami area of Florida, and we are seeing a massive exodus. Ex- of people from California making their way to Texas, many of them coming to Arizona or Nevada, states with very low or no state income taxes. Businesses are leaving, but the policies are not necessarily changing in those places. California trying to find a way to tax people even after they leave the state, which I have no idea how they think they're going to pull that off. But this is interesting. This is a New York Times story. Chicago, um, Christopher Ellington's uh, Southside Photography Studio crashed in 2020 with the onset of the pandemic. By March of 2021, he was scraping by on tax preparation and financial advice business um, and said when gunshots rang out and he was leaving work. So it's talking about the crime and and the uh, rise in poverty in Chicago. But this is um, Mayor Lori Lightfoot's administration, uh, the first of a year's worth of monthly $500 checks, $500 checks with no strings attached, almost no questions asked. In other words, the city of Chicago is experimenting with guaranteed income. Um, all of this has been – you look at the how this is happening. I was watching over the weekend for whatever reason in surfing for things to watch. I found a documentary about the JFK assassination. Now, I'm not some that digs into that about was there another shooter who was behind it? Well, you know, although this documentary believes it was the uh, the mob that was behind it, I was more intrigued by the life of Lee Harvey Oswald, the the assassin. Lee Harvey Oswald went to Russia to live, and then he came back to the U.S., and they're saying that was all part of his cover, and he was an operative. But if you take him at his word for the the bill of goods he was selling the world, whether it was accurate or not, um, he loved Cuba. He loved the the takeover by Fidel Castro. They were big proponents of Cesar Chavez. These were people that believed that communism worked. He went to Russia but was displeased with his quality of life in Russia, and he ended up coming back to the U.S. Now, it may have been a cover. That may have all been a cover. He married a Russian woman. She came back with him. But when you look at these countries where all they talk about is fairness, it's it's fairness in conversation, which we're dealing with again and more on this this morning about um, 
hate speech and you can't say things because it's violent speech and hate speech. The, the cornerstone of the U.S. has been the First Amendment. Now, the Second Amendment protects everything, but the First Amendment, your right to verbalize, your right to practice your religion, your right to meet in public, to have public discourse, your right to criticize your government publicly, your right to say whatever it is that's on your mind. And we are watching this attacked, and it really is, is going to be the demise of a big part of our country. But when you look at the governments and the economies, you can't find a place really that is run. If you look at these governments, you look at what Venezuela was. This is the most recent example. But you look at what Venezuela was. 25 years ago, 30 years ago, and look at where they are now. After what Hugo Chavez did in that country, when and I've heard these stories from Cubans directly that the you know Cuba's main source of income for a long, long, long time was sugar, and the U.S. in the 1970s, I believe, or 19 late 1960s, decided we were going to cut way back on our orders of sugar from Cuba because of what was going on there, and it was a political thing. And in comes Castro, promising a chicken in every pot, and everybody's going to prosper, and we're all going to work together, and all for one and one for all. And the Cuban people carried Fidel Castro into Cuba on their shoulders. And I can tell you that the Cuban people since the 1970s have been putting together makeshift boats or swimming to try to go the 90 miles to Key West because they can't wait to get off that island. Because what was promised in fairness and prosperity has turned into nobody sharing in prosperity. Everybody is sharing in poverty. I just want what's best. Guaranteed income does nothing, nothing for the people at the bottom of the income barrel. And the reason why? Because those people, I should say income ladder. When you're at the bottom of the income ladder, quality of life, standard of life, you are going to be able to, we could raise the minimum wage in this country to 50 bucks an hour. Prices are going to go up so much that 50 bucks an hour is still got you at the bottom rung. You're still going to live in the cheapest apartments. You're still going to buy fast food. You're still going to need food. Assistance because prices are going to go through the roof for everybody else. The middle class gets squeezed. I, I'm not. I'm not a genius, but I'm also very observant, and that's what happens. If you want to expand the middle class, you make prices less expensive. You lower costs, and that's where the middle class grows. I want to see growth in the middle class. I aspired to middle class. You know, when I was a kid, we didn't have anything. We aspired. My friends that were middle class were rich in my mind. I look back now and I think I thought they, I thought those friends of mine were super wealthy. They were middle class. And, you know, that's a good place to be for a lot of people. Uh, electric vehicles could match gasoline car prices this year, possibly, uh, with subsidies and what's going on with the government and some changes that are being made. Um, and so how much of this being pushed on us is making changes in the way we do things? We have a housing shortage here in the U.S., but especially here in Arizona. What are we doing? What are we doing to lighten that load uh, for people? And the answer is not much. We want to build affordable housing. Now we're fighting about where we're going to build it. If the government builds it, they've got all the money in the world. So they're going to go into middle class neighborhoods and people are saying, not in my backyard, but we have to do this. We've got to start addressing real issues. And I will tell you, I think we all believe in our hearts that the government's not the answer to everybody's problem. But somehow we turn back to them and say, you have to fix this. We got to shift gears because the U.S. has shot down a fourth object. 
this time over Michigan. And what the DOD is saying this could be or not ruling out is what's interesting. We're going to talk about that in just a couple of moments. Values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. Hey, thanks so much. Appreciate you spending some time here with us on the show. U.S. shoots down fourth object flying over Michigan. So I want you to hear a couple of things, what officials are saying. This is Martha Raddatz from ABC News talking about these. Well, officially, technically, they're UFOs because they don't know what they are. What a senior official told me late last night was that even though these latest objects have yet to be recovered, they feel confident they were not spy balloons, but rather some sort of meteorological balloon. Although officially the administration is not even calling them balloons at this point, just unidentified objects. So here is my question. If that is true, if the administration believes that they are weather balloons, why did we shoot them down? Because they pose no threat. Now, the one that they shot down over the East Coast after it traversed the most of North America, um, they believe that was a Chinese spy balloon with with capabilities of surveillance. But if they're saying that a lot of these things they're shooting down now are just weather balloons, why are they shooting them down? I don't I don't understand that. Why would they go to that? So. Here's a breakdown. Three incidents in less than a week after that Chinese spy balloon was shot down off the Carolina coast. But a senior U.S. official saying these three are different from that spy balloon. None appear to have a payload and all are smaller. Now intensive search efforts underway. Recovery teams in Alaska using Navy P-8 planes and helicopters as officials scramble to recover and analyze those objects. And that's the issue now is what are they? Are we going to find out what they are and what they were doing? Here's the last part of this is now both sides, both Republicans and Democrats, are getting in on the questions. Republicans initially accused the president of moving too slowly. Others are now saying that he's, quote, trigger happy. But even Democrats have some concerns here. Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer wants to know why it's taken the military so long to know about these objects that have clearly dated back to the Trump administration, saying it's, quote, wild that we are only finding out about this. Now, other Democrats are calling on the administration to be more forthcoming with information, calling on the president to address the American people. Here's a quote. We did not assess it to be a kinetic military threat or anything on the ground, but assessed it was a safety flight hazard and a threat due to its potential surveillance capabilities. So that's talking about the latest thing that was shot down over Lake Huron in Michigan. Um, The DOD actually also went on to say that they're not ruling anything out and meaning aliens as well so it's got the entire country talking the conspiracy theorists are having a field day with this one why because of course the answer is the field day comes when you start talking to people and saying to them we're not ruling anything out now you've got the conspiracy theorists believing this is covering up what's really going on and i we just want to know what's happening we want to feel like we're safe. If the Chinese are flying balloons that are surveilling very high 
uh, security places in America, they should be shot down. They should be taken away. They should not be. They should know that it won't be tolerated by us or anybody else in the world. If you're going to spy on us, you're going to spy on our allies, and our allies aren't going to stand for it. We should stand together in that regard. But if they're truly weather balloons, if the if the administration believes they're weather balloons, and this is where I, I don't understand, and a lot of times it's diplomacy and things behind the scenes. So there was a balloon that from the time we saw it, when we knew, when we were told what it was, when it was flying high above, it was in Canada first, and then it entered into the northern part of the country, and then it traveled eastward until it got over the Atlantic Ocean, and then it was shot down. We were told then that this was a Chinese surveillance balloon. They said, the Chinese officially said that they believed that it was a civilian aircraft that just got blown off course. But what we're hearing about it, what we had been hearing about it the whole time is, A, it could have self-destructed if they wanted to make it self-destruct. And also it had surveillance capabilities. So if we didn't shoot that one down until it got all the way across North America, and now we've got other balloons that the administration is saying, we don't believe they're dangerous. We just believe they're a flight risk. Well, if you know they're there, other aircraft knows they are there. So you didn't shoot those down, the one down, until very late in the game. Now these you're shooting down preemptively when you don't know if they're any more than, than weather balloons. This is the – I don't understand. I just don't know. I'm not calling them liars. I just don't know why they're doing what they're doing. It is very confusing to me. And the American people are concerned. We should be concerned. There is always an intelligence war going on. There is always covert operations going on. It is true. We spy on them. They spy on us. There's no doubt that those things go on. But you want to win that intelligence gathering war. And when someone does something as brazen as we saw that weather balloon, who knows why they did it? Did they just want to see how America was going to respond? And now why all of a sudden are there so many? That's the other part. Has there always been this many and we're just noticing it now or we're just being told? All these questions come flying in and we don't hear many answers being given. And I think they're very good questions. And uh, it's to me they're interesting in that in the – Why are they doing it the way they're doing? Why are we only hearing about it now? Why is it such a big news story now? There's no way this is a new phenomenon. But why is it now that we're hearing about it? I'm not a conspiracy guy. I'm really not. I'm someone that believes, generally speaking, the simplest answer is the answer. But it it, it is interesting what they're doing. What we're going to do in a moment, uh, Governor Hobbs sat down with uh, Fox News, and she talked about the border, but she also talked about education and the ESA expansion in Arizona, where other states are modeling after what Arizona did, but Governor Hobbs may be choose, uh, changing what Arizona does. We'll talk about that coming up in just a moment. Values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. Hey, thanks so much. Uh, Governor Hobbs interviewing with Fox News talked about a multitude of things. It was a pretty good interview uh, to sit back and hear the governor talk about what she thinks on certain issues. And, of course, education came up. Arizona is now seen in circles on the other side of the aisle from the governor as the gold standard now for school choice. And there are many states around the country, as many as I think 13 or 14, that are contemplating changes to school choice um, just like Arizona has. So she was asked about it. Um, 
and they uh, they asked the governor how the ESAs and the the these are the, they used to be called the empowerment scholarship accounts. Originally, it allowed parents of special needs children to take tax tax dollars and spend them any way they see fit, specifically on education for their children with special needs. That is now expanded in the ESAs are now known as um, they the, as education savings accounts, whatever you want to call them. But ESA that expansion from special needs students to basically all students in Arizona. How could this affect the state economically was the question. And regardless of your philosophy on whether taxpayer dollars should go to public or private schools, this is going to bankrupt our state. And many independent analysis have showed that. And we're not calling for a repeal of the entire program. We're just calling for a repeal of the of the universal expansion. And that's um, this is where I have I'm frustrated um, because the school system as it is, is not working. And everybody talks about dramatic changes that are necessary. I will tell you this, and I mean this with all due respect to the great teachers out there. If you have in any other situation, I want you to think of another situation similar where something is not working the way it is. When have we ever thrown more money to do more of the same and it turn out better? And the answer is it doesn't work that way. You throw money at a system to revamp it, to make it different, but you don't do more of the same. And that's where my frustration lies because the politics of this have blinded people so much. I believe that people on the other side of the aisle for me want what's best for education, that they want to see educated children. I'm not a part of this you hate education or you hate teachers or you hate kids. or It's ridiculous. But what's work? What is what we're doing is not working. There's no doubt about that. So the governor goes on to talk about what she believes who ESAs are actually helping. They're not actually benefiting from this program. There's no evidence that shows that. And for the most part, these families, regardless of getting a, a private school voucher, they're not able to afford the gap in tuition uh, that exists with this program. And so, it, largely, um, wealthy families that are already sending their kids to private school and can already afford the tuition are the ones who are getting this subsidy for private school. The program is less than a year old. Number one, the program's less than a year old. Why wouldn't we be promoting it like we do every other program? How many government programs out there where it's new money going with your tax dollars going somewhere? These are existing tax dollars controlled by the parents, not controlled by the government, controlled by the parents. And I will also go out on a limb where I can tell you I don't care if rich people are using it. It's their tax dollars, too. Their children are in school. And then here's what's interesting. Once their children are out of school, they'll still be paying into the system and they won't benefit from that money. So they will go back to putting money back into the public school system. And then when their children who are now in high school or middle school or elementary school have children, they can then use the tax dollars for their children any way they see fit. But the parents, there are many of us. I don't have children in school. My children have children in school. I still pay into the into the school system. And I'm thrilled that a parent can take that tax dollar and go to any school school they see fit. I'm very passionate about this topic because I watched it help my family. Not this program, but having an opportunity at a different source of education. I went to a very good school. I went to a school I loved. 
I hated going there. If you ask them, I didn't show up very often. But I look back at that school, and there were good teachers, and there were a lot of people that went on to be very successful from my public high school in the 80s when I graduated. But my youngest brother, who was seven years younger than I am, was the high school class in 92, went to a prep school just like a brophy. Could never have afforded that without a scholarship. Never. My mother couldn't have afforded any of it. My mother couldn't afford the books. And my brother had an opportunity, and he's the first one in our family to graduate from college. He graduated with honors. There's no way you can't tell me offering families a way out is a bad thing. No way. So the question asked of the governor is, are, are the ES, is this ESA program, the new one, harming public schools? Many of these students that are applying for and receiving these vouchers are in districts that aren't getting the per-pupil funding from the state. They're just relying on the property tax base. So it's not hitting the bottom line of their school districts at all, but it's pulling money out of the entire system. And as a result, the, the school system that roughly 80% of, of families and students still continue to choose in Arizona, the public um, district school system, um, is being robbed of those resources. And that is is creating an unequal playing field uh, where those resources aren't going to the schools that need it the most. We have been hearing for years that there's already an uneven playing field, number one. Number two, it's not creating an uneven playing field, what it's doing is creating competition because I will tell you, I still believe in my heart, and if you disagree with me, I'd love to hear from you that this isn't true. We, our generation, we grew up in a district school, there were five schools in my high school district, five when I was in school. I was a Cypress Lake Panther, and our enemy was the Fort Myers Green Wave. They were our rivals, and I remember everybody in my neighborhood went to Cypress. We all were Cypress Lake kids. And there is something about that community in a school, the pep rallies, the football games, the baseball games, all of the sports, the activities, the achievements. There is something about a community that's very, very good that I think parents and kids still want. So if a district school is performing, they are not going to have a problem with losing students. But the schools that are not performing, where the reading scores and the math scores are abysmal, are going to have to get better at the basics, which means they might have to give up some of the pet programs and go back to basics. But if they are giving the people in that neighborhood what they want. And I'm also not blind to the fact that if there there are going to be school districts out there that say we are going to be a school district that caters to the LGBTQ students. We are going to have the social emotional learning. We believe the critical race theory is critical for raising a good citizen. And if you want to send your kids to this district, we're the district that does it best. best. And there'll be a magnet for people that believe that. It's not as if I believe this benefits one belief system or another. It gives you the freedom to put your child in an education situation that you think is best for them. How is that bad? Especially now, if if people were upsetting the apple cart in a system that was proficient, even if it wasn't excellent, if they were just average, you would have an argument. But it's terrible. It's well below 50 percent in math and reading. What are we complaining about changing it for? Try it. It can't be any worse. 
Last question here I want you to hear. She was asked about, didn't you go to private school? Look, I grew up in a working class family. This was well before any of this um, public assistance for private school existed. And my parents made that choice. I begged them to send me to public school. Um, and we sacrificed a lot. There were times in my family that we were on food stamps. And so it was a choice that they made. And they struggled to to make that choice. What I want is for every, public, every student in the state of Arizona, no matter where they live, to have access to high quality public education. And with this uh, universal voucher system, that's not happening. We don't know that it's happening because it's a new system, number one. But number two, let me pick up on something there. And I'm not, this is not to just, this isn't a gotcha, but I want you to hear this. The governor said that she was in the private school long before this voucher program existed. So they didn't take public assistance to go to school, but they took food stamps. So they were on public assistance. It just wasn't for school. They spent their money on school. They got food assistance. So they did get assistance. Again, the idea that the parents should not be in control of the dollars is beyond me. This should be as bipartisan effort as it gets. And we don't know how good this is going to work because it hasn't had time to work yet. It is because the control of the dollars they wanted at the district level and other people want parents to have control of the dollars. That's the foundational fight here. And we'll see who wins and we'll see who's right. Coming up in a moment, uh, candidates are already on the 2024 trail. What message are they taking to the voters? We'll get to that coming up here in just a moment. Values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. Hey, thanks for being here. Appreciate it as always. Um, fascinating times as we look around. Um, you know, more more documents were looked at in the president's uh, Boston office, um, but there we were never told about that, um, which is interesting because we're moving faster and faster toward 2024, and um, and incumbents have a record. To run on. Sometimes that's good. Sometimes it's bad. They want to be able to say promises made, promises kept. They want to show you how the promises they made that they kept made your life better or or easier. And uh, so the Biden administration has kind of got some headwinds in that regard because the economy has not been good over the last couple of years. We saw a record in gas prices. And so now they don't need a PR nightmare of these document scandals. So that's one area. Um, the other part of this is um, candidates on the campaign trail. Um, and I'm wading into this. I want to wade into this lightly um, because um, the Trump campaign paid researchers to prove the 2020 election fraud, but it kept finding secrets. This is a Washington Post story. Um, the election is over, but Arizona's ballot drop box monitors are still in court. And another Washington Post story, a defiant Carrie Lake carries election denier banner across Iowa amid divided GOP. Um, and then this is an interesting story that from AZ Central that says Arizona's possible three-way 2024 Senate race could make history. Um, there's a lot at stake. 
Um, I've said before, I've, I've differed with my party on election integrity in this regard. Um, I don't think that it benefited anyone by talking about a stolen election. I certainly didn't think that anybody that disagreed with them was should be treated the way they were treated because it didn't help them in the election. I think telling a segment of your own party voters not to vote for you is a bad idea. Um, and, and that's what happened. There was an incident in which Carrie Lake said, that if you're a McCain voter, get the hell out. Those were her words, not mine. Um, and they did. And, and I think that's an issue, that as a candidate, you have to be a unifier. You have to understand, not only do I want all of my party to vote for me, I want to try to get as many independents as possible to vote for me. So this is not a criticism and to rehash election denial at all. What this is about is what is what do the voters want? In the end, in the end, when you're running for office, it's like owning a business. And what I mean by that is I'm selling you something. If you are a car dealer, if you're a restaurant, I need a menu that entices you with a staff that treats you well, and I need to give you what you want. If you live in an area, if you live like where I used to live in kind of the Arcadia area, you are inundated with really good restaurants. So you better be unique. When you live in a town where there are all kinds of options of steakhouses and you open another steakhouse, you're not necessarily drawing in a new crowd. But restaurateurs are so smart about saying, what does the public want? Where is a gap that we can fill? And when it comes to running for office, it's different in this sense. You need to know what do the voters need from you. Are we looking for lower taxes? Are we looking for lower prices? Are we? What is it? It's education and it's the border and it's all of these other things that are important in Arizona. Am I going to have my job? Even though I'm working, maybe sometimes I'm working two jobs between me and my husband or me and my wife. We have three jobs between us and kids. We still can't afford rent, never mind saving for a house. Those are the kinds of issues. If that's what the community is talking about, that's what you should be answering to. Because in the end, you are trying to sell them something. You are trying to gain their vote. And I'm wondering out loud how much this voice, because we'll be I'll be honest with you, for all those of you out there that don't like the integrity, election integrity advocates, they are a big lobby and their voices are important and necessary. But a lot of those candidates already have those voices and those votes. You need to be able to talk to other people and get them to be on board with you as well. If you are a one trick pony, you are going to have only one segment of the electorate on your side. And I just think that the party that does that best in catering to the independents is going to win short term and long term. You know, I'm never going to change. I shouldn't say never. No, never say never. But I'm not changing my party affiliation and I'm not changing my principles. But I understand I have to have a different conversation with people because people have changed their party. They are no longer hardline party affiliates. You no longer know you're talking to a friend or a foe. You don't know where they stand. You've got to message differently if you want to be successful. Coming up just after 10 o'clock, we're going to talk about the economy and how it's affecting all of us and where it's going to go next.